Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keaton, joined today by Patrick Austin Ardeeps. Um, Patrick, we're going to get on to some Premier League action uh, in the second half of the show. And I know that sounds really weird. We're here to talk about the Premier League and all the big talking points for the weekend. But the big talking points do happen to, uh, to centre around two managers. Brendan Rodgers, who we'll come on to later on in the show. He might even crop up in the first few questions, given given his links to, uh, to, to the other club who got rid of their manager yesterday, Chelsea. Sacking Brendan Rodgers. Um, and of course, I do love it when uh, a plan comes together nicely. Uh, for those that are listening in for the first time, Patrick is a big Chelsea fan. Um, so it's quite convenient that, that we've ended up uh, getting him on this morning's show to kind of talk about all things Chelsea uh, after the departure of, of Graham Potter. Uh, seven months after replacing Thomas Tuchel, Potter himself has been sacked. The news coming through on Sunday night that his tenure at Stamford Bridge is over. Uh, Bruno Sautor, uh, his assistant that joined him from Brighton at, at Chelsea, is going to be uh, taking interim charge of the first team. Of course, we're expecting Chelsea to be making a big name uh, appointment. There are plenty of names being linked to it already, which we'll come on into in a second. But Patrick, just your thoughts on the second great Potter for myself as a, as a kind of uh, you know, would you would you say neutral as a Tottenham fan talking about Chelsea? There's probably like a little bit of bias towards Spurs there, but you know, I kind of and we were saying before we came on air this morning that I thought you know this season had been kind of written off already, and that you kind of give Potter next season to kind of really show himself and, and kind of judge himself, giving him that summer to work with the players to kind of really come home his his uh, ideas, and from that viewpoint, that that's where I'm slightly surprised that that Chelsea have pulled the trigger. I'm not, I'm not sure kind of how you see it. I mean, three words come to mind with this whole experiment, if you like, waste of time. I, I must admit, when I was completely stunned when Tusha got sacked. Similarly to Potter's departure, it came so out of the blue. It would it seemed reactive. Um, I, w- I wasn't quite say panic because I think the long term. Well, it, it seems like the long term plan was to have Potter come in, but. The, the problem with appointing Potter, unlike he was a very different manager. Chelsea have not gone for a manager like Potter. He didn't have a huge litany of trophies to his name. He didn't have a huge track record of working with huge players and huge wages and even bigger personalities. But what he did have was a demonstrated track record of producing a very attractive, progressive style of football 
which was entertaining to watch and it also got results. He did that from the ninth tier of English football with Leeds Carnegie to Ostersons, got them three different promotions all the way to Europa League, even beat Arsenal at the Emirates. And he delivered it with Swansea, okay, albeit over one season, but he did well with Swansea for one season. And then that led to him getting the Brighton job, getting Brighton their highest ever finish in the Premier League. So I was very excited because I was thinking, okay, this is different, but with an attractive style of football with even better players, something might be able to happen. I wasn't expecting the Premier League or Champions League, but I was thinking this could work. And you need any manager who has a specific type of football I play, they need time to implement it. And sacking him now with 10 games to go just goes to show that they weren't willing to give him that time. So why did they bring him in in the first place if they wanted someone to kind of catapult them up into the top four? It, it doesn't really make sense to me. And best of luck to Bruno Salter. What an opportunity for him this is. He's got 10 games and two 10 Premier League games left and two matches against Real Madrid. So huge, huge pressure on him. But it's it it's just bizarre. It, it just doesn't make any sense. I think we can appreciate, you know, despite the fact that, that this sacking has, has both kind of surprised us with the timing of it, that we can appreciate that it probably hasn't worked as well as Chelsea were hoping for and, and definitely for Graham Potter as well. Um, uh, uh, following the, uh, the replacing Thomas Tuchel back in September. Um, and there have been, you know, kind of moments and I know at the weekend um, playing Christian Pulisic as left wing back and Noni Madueke as right wing back, you know, kind of suggest that maybe he was out of ideas, but but it still kind of surprises me the timing nonetheless. For Todd Burley though, a year into less than a year into his ownership of the club, there was always talk, you know, Chelsea about hiring and firing managers under Roman Abramovich, you know, this kind of revolving door at Stamford Bridge. Roman Abramovich is looking quite a patient owner now in comparison to Todd Burley. As I said there, less than a year into his ownership, he's now looking for his third permanent manager of Chelsea. He spoke about how in the summer, and I still cannot get over this as well. I think I think we, we might brush over this on the show at the time, but the sack in the Thomas Tuchel suggesting that it wasn't part of the long-term vision that they had been planning this for a long time to remove him after involving him quite heavily in a £250 million transfer spend. That that sounded alarm bells as to how Burns running this club and running Chelsea. Now to sack Potter as well, as I said there, to look for his third permanent manager less than a year after taking ownership of the club. For you as a Chelsea fan, how would you rate his ownership so far? I'm going to leave this as a fairly open question for you to, to deliver your verdict on it. For me personally, and again, this is coming from a Tottenham fan who has to deal with Daniel Levy on a regular basis. <laughs> he's making Daniel Levy look quite competent at the minute, I'd say. I think it's, it's very early to really kind of rate Bowley. I mean, but if we're judging him by what's been the case now, it's as, it has been strange. £270 million in the summer transfer window institutional, then he was sacked pretty much days after the transfer window ended. Aubameyang only had one match with him. Aubameyang didn't even wear the the blue of Chelsea under under Tuchel. That's how quickly he was gone. And then, so that so that was a lot for Potter to take in to begin with. I mean, normally a £270 million summer transfer, and I think the best part of seven or eight players were brought in that season. That's a lot for any manager to deal with. And then suddenly we had nearly that many players were brought in in January, but with even bigger price tags. Enzo breaking the bridge transfer records. Madrid, I think, was his feeble rise to about £89 million potentially and stuff like that. So... It, it seems quite strange. It does. It's not normal. I thought, in a way, I thought he was quite revolutionary with the way he's spreading out the transfer fees over the long contracts. Um, I thought that was quite a clever move. It's an extremely risky move because, again, if there's 
let's say those players break their legs or if they just don't do very well in the Premier League, then those assets are on your books for the next seven or eight years. So there is a sting in that tail as well. It's it's usually risky. I think Chelsea fans will know about Todd Burley within the next five years and say that's when we might know about the new stadium if if there is going to be a redevelopment of Stamford Bridge or moving to Earl's Courts. It's I think it's too early, but I think the approach with managers has been very, very strange. I think Tuchel's departure was evidently about personalities. I think maybe Burley and Tuchel maybe couldn't really work together. And Tuchel does have a track record as well, whether it's normally, I think it's normally around about the third season. He's fallen out at Dortmund and PSG as well. Uh, time will tell how he does with Bayern Munich, although he has started very well there as he has done with all clubs. So I do believe it's too early at the moment. and. I think going back to Graham Potter as well, this was an unprecedented season for Potter because I think he had that horrific run where I think it was something about two wins in 13 matches. But most of those were down. We had, there was, I say we, I'm trying to be impartial, but there was the best part of 12, 13 injuries there in our four squads. And he didn't, he wasn't able to use Ben Chilwell, Reese James. He only used Kante once. Uh, Wesley Fafana, who every time he's played, Chelsea looked like a different team. He's been injured as well. And obviously just recently lost Silver. So he's had a lot of big injuries to deal with. And it, it just seems strange. Um, I when, I when the sacking first came through, I had a feeling, okay, is this about Nagelsmann coming in? Which I would kind of understand that because Nagelsmann is a fantastic manager. I don't think anybody was expecting him to get the sack at the same time. So too early for me to really, really judge. Um, I think if we, if we had come on another podcast in three or four years time then I'll be able to give a more kind of well-rounded view of it who knows get it in the diary and let's let's see how it goes you kind of touched on my next point there when you mentioned about Nagelsmann and, and potentially um you know him being linked to the job he is the favorite at the minute Bruno Saltor obviously being in position and uh, the way that these better markets work is that you have to have 10 games in charge <laughs> and obviously there is 10 games to go until the end of the season so of course we, with that respect that's that's how they pay these out so Bruno's second favorite um, but then you get a few more kind of you know familiar names ones that you would expect again with a, a job of this size we're saying Pochettino, Louis Enrique, anything to Dan, Simeone, obviously Brendan Rodgers, who we'll come on into in a second, uh, having left Leicester. Where did Chelsea go from here, though? Where would you like to see Chelsea go from here as a club in terms of, you know, not just who they appoint, but how they take things forward? As you said, the, when Graham Potter got appointed in September, you were thinking that this is a long-term vision, a long-term plan, something a little bit different. All right, it might hurt for the first couple of years, but we'll eventually kind of build something and, and can kind of... You could see a dynasty almost uh, arriving potentially. Maybe, maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself there. But what 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 does Chelsea need in terms of that next manager, and, and what do they need? What direction is it that they need to go in? Well, it has to be a long term vision because when you look at Manchester Manchester City, Pep Guardiola, he had a season of failure. His debut season at Manchester City was the first campaign he's ever had where he didn't win a single trophy. He made mistakes. He got rid of Joe Hart's brought in Claudio Pravo, who just could not quite cut it in the Premier League. For every Erling Haaland, there was an Alito that didn't quite crack it as well. He had to move out some huge names. I think if you look at that entire City spine, that was... Uh, Joe Hart in goal, Vincent Company, Pablo Zabaleta. Then you had David Silver in midfield, Fernandinho, Yeo Torre, Aguero. They were the spine of 
some huge Manchester City successes, including multiple Premier League titles. And they they all got moved on eventually and brought in. They regenerated. I imagine Liverpool will probably go through a similar process under Klopp. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of players who were the backbone of their Champions League and Premier League success. I think we could end up seeing them get moved on. And we're seeing after. Um, we're seeing, looking at Arsenal as well. That's the result of three years of planning. That first season, they finished in eighth place. Their first campaign outside of Europe, I think it's something about 25 years or something like that. Then they lost the first three games the next season. Brentford, Arsenal, Manchester City scored none, conceded nine. If Arteta was given the chop, then there probably would not have been too many complaints. So it is a process. I hate to say the cliche, trust the process, but you need the manager who could deliver a long-term process. Now we look, we're going to look at some obvious names, Julian Nagelsmann, we mentioned earlier. He has a specific playing style. He will need time to implement that. Pochettino was the same. His success, um, success if you can call it that, at Tottenham, but he did very well at Tottenham against the Champions League. That was a specific playing style that needed some time, trial and error as well. Ruben Amarim has also been mentioned. Um, very, very talented young coach, but again, we'll need time to get used to the Premier League and that's a new club. Um, Luis Enrique is probably the only manager who you could say may have fitted the old Abramovich mould of essentially coming in, dropping 150, 200 million, going bang, trophies. But lots of teams have spent 200 million pounds though. It's not just Chelsea. Under Abramovich, no one could compete with Chelsea spend. No team could say, no, we're not selling players. But Everyone, lots of teams in the Premier League are rich now with the broadcast deals. Like Leicester can afford to rack up the price of Wesley Fofan and Harry Maguire to the eighty million pounds. They are able to say no because we probably don't really need to sell that. I mean, Leicester fans might say situation has changed an awful lot now. Probably not quite the same, but you can't just go. The, the days of just sailing a new manager sailing into a club, dropping 200, 200 million and winning the Premier League are over. You need to build things over time now. And Liverpool, Manchester City and Arsenal, if they hold on to win the Premier League, they are there's evidence of that. The last manager to win the Premier League in his first season was Antonio Conte. And that was that's coming up to about seven, seven years ago now. So Football, football has moved on and the next manager and, and and also Chelsea will probably finish outside of the European places this year as well. Nagelsmann, he, I imagine he's going to wait until the summer. He could have Tottenham, Chelsea and Real Madrid to choose from because Carlo Ancelotti is unbelievably under huge pressure at Real Madrid. You know, any manager who wants a long-term project could look at Graham Potter's case and thinking, am I going to get that at Chelsea? Chelsea will always be an attractive club. They've got they've got a bottomless pit of money. They've got some fantastic players in there, a very passionate fan base, a history of winning trophies as well. But at the same time, it could also promise quite a hefty payday if you get sacked one year into your five-year contract as well, as is the case with Potter. Appreciate he's not going to get the full £50 million or whatever it was, but he will still get a significant payday. It's it, they, they, they just need to accept. And I, th- I thought Burley had accepted that the next trophy could take a very, very long time. But uh, apparently that's not the case. So unless Nagelsmann is a shoe-in, this, this is going to be a very questionable decision.
Yeah, you do kind of the, the kind of timing of it makes you think whether or not they're kind of trying to beat Tottenham and beat Real Madrid to the to the signing of Julian Narcos when potentially that that was definitely my first thought. Um, but of course, Chelsea not the only vacancy in the Premier League uh, at the moment, Patrick. Leicester City passing company with Brendan Rodgers just a few hours before the Chelsea news came through as well. And whilst Rodgers, uh, it, it might be surprising in the extent that obviously he's had great success at Leicester, you know, nearly took him into the Champions League a couple of times, won the FA Cup with them in, in you know, less than two years ago, but shows how quickly football kind of moves on. Ever since that that FA Cup win, it, it's kind of been a downhill slide for them, hasn't it? They've not been able to replicate that success, not been able to kind of match those heights of those two seasons when they were really, really unfortunate to miss out on the Champions League football, those, those two seasons under Rodgers. Um, and ultimately a, a dreadful season, a dreadful run of form that they're in at the minute, slipping back down to 19th at the weekend. Now, of course, that is because it is so ridiculously tight down the bottom um, that, of course, any any defeats and any wins. I think West Ham moved up five places before we yesterday. That's how tight it is down there at the minute. Um, yeah, something had to give. And unfortunately for Rodgers, Leicester pulled the trigger they, and then they had to make that decision, really, when you kind of consider everything. It's yeah, I think that's probably right. I think this was a long time coming. I think when you look at the uh, the start of the Premier League campaign, I think Leicester lost something like six of the first seven Premier League matches. And what what when you start like that, you're fighting not exactly a losing battle because there's still thirty odd games to go. But you're you're fighting a you've given yourself a huge uphill task from then on. It's I. I I must admit, I didn't actually quite appreciate Leicester had fallen to 19th at the time. But then again, they've had one very poor result and lots of other results have gone against them, like Bright, like Bournemouth winning, for example, West Ham beating Southampton and other huge results like that. So um, 10 games to go. Um, whether there's a new manager in situ, we'll wait and see. It's a huge uphill task for them now. And I, I fear for Leicester as well because their, their accounts for pretty grim viewing from last year as where they lost £92.5 million over the course of the 2021-22 season. That's even even having sold Wesley Fofana for £85 million. And 19th in the table, it's it's going to be very, very hard work for them to really to, to get above those dreaded dotted lines. But then again, I think their best hope is that I do believe there are three squads in the Premier League that are worse than Leicester City's. And I think they will just about claw their way out. It might not be pretty, but I think they will get themselves out of it. I thought Brenton Rogers would have kept them up, I must admit, just because he has had a few renegation battles in his time. And I think he is kind of, I think most of the time he is able to motivate the players to get themselves going. But it's it's a huge decision at a huge time, 10, 10 games to go. It's, it's going to be hard work for the next manager to come in. Yeah, you said there about Rodgers and, you know, probably keeping them up. And I, I'd likely agree with that, not least because I'm looking now at the minute at the, the kind of list of rushers and riders that, that are in the running for the uh, for the Leicester job and, and who can who they're expecting, you know, rookies to take over from. I saw Thomas Frank being linked as like the early favourite. I'm thinking, why would he do that? Why would he jump from such a lovely, well-run club at Brentford to, to the madness that is Leicester, unfortunately, at the minute? And it's funny, again, because a few years back, we would have said Leicester was a brilliantly one club. So it's just... Really funny how, how things change in football quickly. But the the kind of the runners and riders at the minute, so you've got Graham Potter as the favourite. Whether or not he'd want to jump into a relegation battle, I'm sure he could probably do some time off after some testing bumps at Chelsea. You probably wouldn't, wouldn't begrudge him that either. And you're looking at Rafa Benitez. Is he really what they mean to get out of a relegation battle? And Prostacoglu, 
again, you know, the, the, the similar route that Rodgers went from Celtic down. I'm not sure that that's a job that kind of tempts him. I mean, he's been linked with the, the Tottenham job as well, potentially. Maybe he might be holding out for St. Digger. Steven Gerrard. You, you go through that list and I know it's obviously tough for teams down near the bottom. They're never going to attract big names. You're never going to go, oh, wow, that's going to be a great managerial appointment for them. It is difficult, and especially at this stage of the season when there is 10 games to go in and they are going to be potentially up against it. But just looking at those names there, it does make you think, should Leicester have stuck with Rodgers or were they just absolutely convinced that, that he wasn't the man to get him out? I mean, it just just looking at the names there, I'm not even a Leicester fan. I had no links to Leicester whatsoever. And that's actually, I find those names quite demotivating, frankly. But, you know, who knows? They might, Stephen Gerald might come in and, and prove me wrong. But I, I wouldn't expect it. It's it's difficult. I think when you're taking over a team, 10 games to go, it's very, very hard to find a new manager. So I'm, I, I'm not going off any real intel on this, but I imagine, I think Rafa Benitez could certainly go in there just because he has the experience, which he has at Newcastle, of managing a team with little funds, getting them organised and just clawing results out of, not, not exactly out of thin air, but just battling for every single point. And I think if there's any manager who's likely to come into a team with 10 Premier League games to go in 19th position, I think it could be him. I can't, I can't see Thomas Frank jumping, jumping um, ship at Bourne, at Brentford just because Brentford, they could still potentially get themselves into the Conference League, maybe even Europa League. There's still plenty of time. Uh, I've, I've heard Pochettino linked with Leicester before, which would almost seem like quite a good fit, actually, just because I think Pochettino, he likes to go into a team where there's there's an awful lot of work to do. There's an awful lot of work to build because I think that's where he's at his real best. Uh, Ralph, Ralph Assenhutl could potentially be one as well because he's been out of a job for a very long time since he was sacked at Southampton. So th- there's there's plenty of names out there. It's just whether they want to come and take over the reins now. And that's that's a that's a very, very big risk, particular, particularly if you go back in there and things don't things don't go particularly well. So it's it, it it's it's a tough one. It's it's a really, really huge task for any managers to go in and, and actually considering their struggles off the pitch as well with the finances, you could almost make them one of the favourites to go down. Uh but then again it's it's that eighteenth position which that's going to keep changing. But then again, if Leicester, if the new person comes in and wins, say if, uh, takes four points from the next nine, then they could fly up the table into like that fourteenth position, where I think maybe they had a kind of uh, false sense of security because I don't think they were. It wasn't too long ago, but since they were kind of in that fourteenth, thirteenth bracket, but it's it's so tight at the minute. You're, you're not really safe until you get to that magic thirty-six points, and even that might not be enough. Somewhere I think Sam Allardyce is waiting for a phone call to ring. Perhaps if it's not Leicester, there might be a few other clubs. <laughs> there might be one or two other clubs in the uh, in the coming weeks looking for him instead. But just going to stick with that relegation battle now as well. As you said, there, you know, he's still ridiculously tight. One team that did change their manager over the international break uh, was Crystal Palace. And, and they were as high as 12th. Like, this shows how bonkers this is that, that Crystal Palace, you say that they're involved in the relegation scrap and they're sat in 12, but that's how tight it is. That's how many teams are involved. I don't think either of us can remember a time when there's been this many teams still involved at this stage of the season. 
But Palace looked to have been um, proved right. Obviously, they were the team that, that ended Brendan Rodgers' reign as Leicester Bosman for victory at the last half at the weekend. Um, and Roy Hodgson making the triumphant return as well. There's probably one or two that questioned, really? Hodgson, after what happened with, with Watford previously and whether or not he still had it in him. Obviously, he's a boy and Palace fan and he's loved Palace and, and Palace love him. And, you know, it worked well for a few years. But you're kind of thinking, is this lad's keeping him up? If they need him to keep him up again, you know, they're, they're kind of probably the best place to be in the 12th place. But it's great for him and great for Palace as well that it has his his return has started with a victory. What a huge result that was! I, I think in the manner, I think the manner in which they got the victory is perhaps most important as well because they they fell behind at the time. I think they'd only scored one goal in their last four games, and even that goal was a relatively meaningless goal against Arsenal. So I think the way they came back. Not, and scored the win in the 94th minute. What a wonderful goal by Mateta that was as well. Just one of the best first touches of the season, surely. So it's a huge, it's a huge result for them. They have a lot of fantastic players. And uh, you've got Mark and Lisa, you've got Eze in there as well. I think Eduard's played very well. I thought he led the line very good. Mateta came off the bench. Obviously, Wilfried Zaha is Wilfried Zaha. So they do have some good players in there. And I think, I do... I think Crystal Palace were due a win. I think, what was it, something like um, they were one of the only teams not to record a victory in 2023 or some horrible records like that. But they had a really arduous run of games. Many of their defeats were very kind of one nils, 2 ones, very, very narrow losses. And I think they were due a win. I think they may have won this game under Patrick Vieira personally as well. But fair play to Roy. He's he got them motivated. He got them playing well. He's got the he got the atmosphere back at Selhurst Park as well, particularly with that late winner. So so we'll see. And they're sitting in twelfth place at the minute. And obviously, because things are so tight at the minute, you're not quite comfortable in twelfth place. But with every point of win, you'll move. You'll gradually move further and further away from those dotted lines. So if if he keeps them up come the end of the season, then you can then you can always say, well, you know, it was kind of the fed, it was the right decision. It's the question will be whether he decides to stay on at Selhurst Park to manage again, or if Palace go looking, which they they could be an embarrassment of riches to choose from, such as your Graham Potters, your Brendan Rogerses, if they do consider Crystal Palace as a viable option. So. It, it's going to be really interesting in the summer to see um, because th- there's going to be another huge managerial merry-go-round and I think there could be some really surprising appointments. That's what we love to hear anyway. It keeps us busy during the summer months when there's no football to talk about. Transfers and managerial appointments is what we need. Uh, but going from the bottom to the top, uh, Manchester City laying down the gauntlet for Arsenal uh, on Saturday afternoon. Obviously, City uh, starting the weekend, returning to action for a brilliant 4 1 win over Liverpool. Jack Greenish, uh, phenomenal, probably the best that he's played since his move to Man City, I'd say. Uh, and then Arsenal going to get a 4 1 win of their own against Leeds. Um, in terms of the title race and how this goes, this is, you know, it doesn't matter who plays first, but that's kind of what you have to do at this point, isn't it? You know, win your game, put the pressure on the other team. And then obviously them go and respond. Um, you know, for Arsenal as well, it, it's kind of, you know, we should we should stop expecting to blow up. They're not going to blow up, I don't think, at, at this point. They're showing that they're mentally tough. And, and to do that after City, watching City blow away, you know, the years who have been their closest challenges in Liverpool and blow them away in some style, for Arsenal then to kind of deliver that performance against Leeds really showed that this team, this togetherness and having Gabriel Shakespeare back as well. Imagine that. You're still in the title and you can just chuck him back into the team. Um, that Arsenal are, are going to be giving it their absolute all in these final few games of the season and, and City are going to have to deliver something and hope Arsenal really do slip up. Absolutely right. And I think 
one of the the huge disadvantages for City as well is that they are still competing in three fronts. Because one thing which hasn't been mentioned, you know, when we're talking about quadruples for Manchester United, things like that, Manchester City could win the tri- the treble as well, which they they've still got a huge shouts in the Champions League, and obviously they're still in the FA Cup as well. So they could still win the treble. The only problem is whilst. Arsenal are playing Liverpool, West Ham and Southampton before they face City. City still have to play Southampton, Leicester City and they've got two games against Bayern Munich as well plus Sheffield United in the FA Cup semi-final and then Arsenal will be coming up to that point as well. So, and as you said, that's all we could do. You've just got to win your games by hook, by crook, win them. It just so happens that Arsenal and City are actually both winning their games quite comfortably at the minute. I think Jesus returning and scoring a brace is... Is, is enormous you can't put a price tag on that that's such a huge positive particularly when Jesus got it Jesus's injury appeared to be almost the moment where Arsenal were going to lose their Premier League title bids that's what everybody's saying they've proved them wrong I think Saliba's injury is huge for Arsenal because I thought he has been brilliant since he came in as well um, I wouldn't quite say a Virgil van Dijk like impact like van Dijk did when he moved to Liverpool but not a million miles off as well because it meant Ben White could be moved out to right back where he's also been fantastic and when you've got Saliba Gabriel White Zinchenko can then step more into midfield more often and have more time in the ball so t- 10 games left an awful lot can still happen I think Arsenal will hold on just because I think they're almost in that stage. They've won so many games that they almost, they've forgotten how to lose. And they could potentially lose at the Etihad and still go on to win. But then again, they've got, they got Liverpool up next. And this, this is a wounded Liverpool side, of course. But if Liverpool get a good result against Chelsea on Tuesday, which considering the circumstances, you, you can't put that past them now. It's... It's it's possible. It's still time. It just depends if um, it depends how hungry City are because they might have one eye on the Champions League, which is against Bayern Munich, and they're in the horrible side of the draw where it will either be if they do beat Bayern Munich, it will either be Real Madrid or well, it will probably be Real Madrid in the semi final unless there's a huge shock, of course, and unless Bruno Soltar can do something quite extraordinary with Chelsea. So. It, it, it's a waiting game. Every game's going to be nervous. But Arsenal and City, they're, they're both in the winning zone. Now, it, it would not be a surprise if both of them go and win their next 10, well, well, they can't mathematically go and win their next 10 games because they're playing against each other. But it would not be a surprise if they pretty much put in an almost faultless record or if any of them go and record a 100% record from now until the end of the season. Patty, just before we go this morning, just quickly on the uh, the race for the top four as well. Naively, um, you know, as a Spurs fan, I have a vested interest in this race. And of course, you know, you know we're recording this Monday morning. It might all change. I might be very disappointed and, and not optimistic at all about it come Tuesday. Um, but naively, kind of looking at it and, you know, kind of, you know, talking about the return in the Premier League last week, I was looking at the top four batting. I was thinking, oh, well, you know, United have gone, you know, no one will, you know, not, no one will catch them, but United will be quite comfortable with third. And it's a race between three teams for that final spot. Maybe, you know, if you chat to Brighton and Brentford as well, you know, you talk about five teams batting for it. But now it's looking like, and maybe I'm being a bit kind to Liverpool here, obviously a defeat at the weekend, but they can still, there's still that quality in the squad. Rather than one to three, you're looking at two into four, uh, or four into two, sorry. Um, in terms of this battle now for this for this top four, that Newcastle seems to flip things on their head completely, I think, and they've really dragged Man United back into it. As you said, they're about City having to compete on all fronts and focus on, you know, they can't really focus their efforts on one 
opportunity like Arsenal can in the title race. Likewise, Man United, they are still going for it in the Europa League, still going for it in the FA Cup, still have a top four battle to work out as well. Up against Newcastle, Tottenham and Liverpool, all of whom only have the league to focus on. You know, I still think Man United will finish in the top four. That's not to say that, you know, it's going to be easy for them though. And, and Newcastle really seems to have dragged them back into it now. Even though you are a Tottenham fan, I don't, it's quite funny on paper. Your position's not too bad. Fifth place, one point in the top four. I, pre- I appreciate if if it wasn't for Antonio Conte's rants, if he went and just delivered like a relatively sound kind of oh disappointed result press conference, then he'd probably still be in situ, and you still have a huge bid and in getting into the top four. Um, as you said, United they have their eyes on the FA Cup and Europa League. Obviously, if they win Europa League, they get Champions League qualification through that as well. And the race for the top four is always a huge bun fight as well. Like the last few years, it's almost a point where it almost looks like no team wants to finish fourth because just when it looks like it was in their hands, they they go and choke, they go and lose two or three games. We've seen um, Manchester United were sitting comfortably, but they got one point from their last three games. Then that time, Newcastle have won have recorded nine. So that that could happen over a very short space of time. And Brighton, they've got two games in hand. They're in that they're they're also in a winning zone. They they always don't quite know how to lose at the minute. They win those two games in hand. They're level on points for Tottenham. And Liverpool again, they they could end up recovering just because where just there've been so many times under clock when Liverpool have looked to be on their knees. They've just suddenly gone and pulled together a eight, nine, ten game winning streak and then clawed their way back just like they did during the 2020-21 season when their whole squad was seemingly injured. So it's 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 very early. I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't like to bet on the right on the race for the top four. I really wouldn't. Um I, I always thought Newcastle would run out of steam. Mostly I just thought maybe this was one season too early. I thought the same with Brighton and Brentford as well, but that they're, they're not a million miles off at the minute. You, you can't rule. You can't really rule any of them out. And it is a surprise that Manchester United have been dragged back into it because we were talking about them as potential title contenders, and suddenly they find themselves twenty-two points behind. It's 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 amazing how quickly football changes, but it does change. And it changes very often, particularly in the race for the top four. So we'll we'll see we'll see how it ends up. And it's I, I don't like to guess who finishes in the top four. I really wouldn't. As Patrick said there, of course, football does change quite a lot, and you can keep across all of those changes as well as any other news across the mirror, the Daily Star and the Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye.